Chapter 7 of The Outdoor Girls at the Hostess House. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Outdoor Girls at the Hostess House by Laura Lee Hope. A Lark in the Open. Well, where do we go from here, boys? asked Alan lazily stretching out on the grass with a convenient, raised bank of moss for a pillow, while the girls repacked and depleted hampers. It's such a wonderful day, and camp was never like this. Tell us something we don't know, Frank retorted. Gee, it's been a fine experience and all, but believe me, I'll be glad when the call comes for action. They're off again, said Grace plaintively. I must say, you're not awfully complimentary, added Molly, busily folding napkins. In what way, sweet maid, do we offend? Will inquired. Oh, always talking about how glad you'll be to get away from us, she explained. Here we thought we'd be entertaining you so beautifully. Gee, you have, cried Roy, propping himself on his elbow and speaking with unaccustomed solemnity. It's been just great having you girls here. It certainly has, added Frank. I guess we'd have gone clean crazy because of homesickness if you hadn't come along just when you did. Now you're saying something, Alan added warmly, while the girls stopped packing and looked on happily. Do you remember what we were talking about that day when we almost ran into what we were talking about? Finished Frank with a grin. You bet I do. Well, what was it? drawled Grace. After they had waited patiently for the boys to continue, and the latter had smiled aggravatingly to themselves over their thoughts. If it's bad, added Molly briskly, we don't want to hear it, for, as the old lady said that used to come to see Mother regularly once a year, I don't care what terrible things people say or think about me if they don't tell me about it. But if it's good, we might stand it. Oh, it was good all right, Frank assured her, still smiling over his thoughts. We were saying that if we didn't get a furlough so we could go back to Deepdale, for a certain purpose, suggested Will. For a certain purpose, Frank repeated solemnly. We were afraid we might have to desert. Yes, that would have been sensible, scoffed Molly. Get a half a dozen years in prison for yourselves, and I'd like to know where your furloughs would be then. And you haven't really told us a single nice thing about ourselves, added Betty plaintively. All the time we've just been holding our breath to listen. We've been doing our best to tell you those nice things every minute of every day since then, said Alan in a low voice. If you haven't heard, it's because you wouldn't listen. Betty colored adorably, to quote Alan again, and resumed her packing with great fervor. All of which, Frank finished his self-justification, shows that we're far from anxious to leave you girls when you say we're eager for action. I guess, he added, thoughtfully, it's just because we're so crazy to be with you that we're eager to go across. That sounds rather, began Grace, but Frank would not let her finish. I know it does, he admitted. Sounds like a contradiction. But I think you know what I'm trying to get at, just the same. Why, sure. Will backed him up eagerly. Frank means that we've got a confounded, 
disagreeable job to do before we can settle down and be happy on good old United States soil again. And the sooner we get it done, the better, finished Roy. Alan nodded. I guess that's about the size of it, he said. The sooner we get there, the sooner we'll be coming home again. And say, fellows, what a homecoming. At the wistfulness in his voice, the girls felt the tears rise to their eyes. And to save them from a breakdown, Betty crisply changed the subject. I hope you boys can get over to the hostess house Thursday night to see the entertainment we were helping get up among those new fellows who came week before last, she cried. Working yourselves to death over it, are you? inquired Alan. Never, returned Grace with a sudden emphasis. But it's lots of fun, chuckled Molly. We have found out by judicious inquiry, Amy here soon worms out the heart secrets of these boys by her quiet, sympathetic way, that a number of those boys have parlor tricks of one sort or another, and that orchestra fella really is good, interrupted Amy. Boys, you should hear him play. He has a guitar hung over his shoulder, a harmonica strapped to his head, a piano nearby to which he makes sudden dashes, and all the while he dances the most marvelous dance. For once, Amy was aroused to enthusiasm. The boys, however, were less interested, and Roy wanted to know what the girls themselves had to do in the coming entertainment. Oh, laughed Betty, we are stage managers, scenic artists, stagehands, costumers, modern mutation of the Greek chorus, stays and props for the weak and timid, breaks for the overbold. In fact, we are around to do any work that nobody else wants to do. But we haven't decided, she reminded them suddenly, just how we're going to spend the rest of the afternoon. Of course, we can always take a walk. Not after that lunch, declared Alan, striving to sit up and sinking down again with a moan. I'm ten pounds heavier than when I came. Well, you ought to be ashamed to admit it, retorted Molly. I thought in the Army you had to be able to hike fifteen miles without winking. Sure. But this is our day off, objected Roy. What do you suppose we get leave for? Just to do what we can do every day of our lives? Well then, for goodness sake, suggest something, cried Molly impatiently. I have an idea, cried Alan, so suddenly that they all started. Well, you needn't be so proud of it. Do you remember that pond we came across the day we went prospecting alone, Frank? He continued, not noticing the interruption. Yes, Frank answered, catching the idea and looking interested. Seems to me it ought to be somewhere in this neighborhood. Going to catch some fish? Why, of course, put in Roy scornfully. We're so attractive, all we have to do is to whistle to the little animals to have them squabbling for the best place on the hook. My, isn't he the sarcastic boy, grinned Alan. That little trick might work with you, Roy, but we're more modest. Well, have you got any fishy tackle? queried Roy patiently. Sure, it was Frank's turn to be sarcastic. Don't you know that's a part of every doughboy's outfit, so he can go fishing with the Huns? Peace, peace, my children, entreated Betty plaintively. Can't we ever talk about anything without getting into an argument? But this isn't an argument, 
It's a suggestion, said Allen. Though I expect the scorn and ridicule of an unthinking populace. Perhaps you have heard of the old-fashioned, but sometimes effective, string and bent pin? The boy shouted, and Allen bent upon them a pitying glance. It is even as I expected, he said sorrowfully. Well, I have done my best. I say, old man, Roy interrupted suddenly, proving an unexpected ally, I'm for you. Of course we won't get anything, but it will be an adventure. And gee, some fresh fish would taste good. So they went to work, eager as children on a lark. The girls managed to furnish enough pins for the hooks, and when the available string gave out, the boys made use of stout, withy vines as substitutes. And, strange as it may seem, they actually were successful. The little stream proved to be full to overflowing with fish, small to be sure, but still edible. Gee, I never saw anything like it, cried Roy as he excitedly pulled out one fish after another. They seemed to be eager to be caught, and to think that we actually scoffed at the idea. That's what genius always has to bear, put in Alan resignedly, while Betty gave him a sidewise glance from under her long lashes. Oh, don't we hate ourselves? she chided softly, as she handed him more bait. You really shouldn't, Alan. What, hate myself? he demanded, letting a fish slip back into the water in his preoccupation. I'd just as soon, as long as you don't. Betty laughed happily. It was so good to be there, unbelievably catching fish, with Alan beside her saying delightful and foolish things. Then she thought of the parting that must inevitably come, and her bright face clouded. Alan saw the shadow and leaned toward her anxiously. "'What is it, dear?' he whispered softly. "'Have I done anything?' "'No,' she answered with a little smile, half whimsical, half wistful. "'You haven't done anything. It's what you're going to do that hurts.'" End of Chapter 7